0: how to introduce you how to introduce you like my role and stuff or what yeah i wrote that you're um um uh, yeah yeah we're recording i wrote that you are an idea cataloger i know that you're a dj i wrote that you're a concept composer and an arena power user
1: oh wow yeah i would say uh um those things are not i wouldn't say none of those are true i wouldn't say that they're not true okay um I would say they're kind of like um components of who I am mm-hmm. um I'm firm believer this is a recording this is recording I'm a firm <laughs> believer in um, new roles being created and people identifying those roles I think as a transition of like how people have adopted the notion of like being able to identify their gender um, and accepting that is something um, that can be closely related to like roles and how people practice work. So the role that I'm currently practicing and discovering right now is an artist founder. Okay. Artist hyphen founder. Do you feel
0: comfortable having one role or is it always just kind of like factions in different
1: parts? I'm always, I I think I practice new roles on and on and I move on. So the role I was practicing before artist founder was concept composer. Okay. So I was a concept composer before an artist. founder.
0: And now you have um, been promoted.
1: Well, yeah, I promoted. It's not, it's not a promotion, but more so a different waypoint. It's more of like a horizontal shift rather than a vertical one. Right. And now you're the artist founder
0: of well, Um
1: of Fill in the Blank Incorporated. Of anything. Well, it's it no earnestly. It's called Fill in the Blank. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: And what is that?
1: Um it's uh it's a company that is exploring um, and playing with USBs, connectivity in the future of auxiliary hardware.
0: Okay, cool. So I know about USB Club. I know you explained it to me before, but can you explain it to me yeah, again?
1: Yeah. yeah, I think it's something that is evolving. Um, it has been described as an underground network, mm-hmm. um, but really it started off by learning how to use a CDJ. And um, it's really, you can't really, everyone uses a CDJ now with a USB. Yeah, and if you don't have a USB, you can't use one. And right. um, but CDJs are really expensive, and so uh, there's these things called pirate studios, which are almost like we work for audio studios where people can do podcasts. And okay. like this, um, they can do band practice and you can practice DJing because they have CDJs there and you can rent them for like time, like thirty minutes, an hour, and so on. It's open twenty four hours, and so I started going there, practicing. And a lot of friends wanted to come by, and they're like, what do I need to do? And I'm like, you got to get a USB. By like the 12th time, I said, you got to get a USB. I'm like, mm, this is interesting. But they didn't really think that everyone needed to be a DJ. Um, it's pretty broy. y um, Hopefully, with time, that changes. But uh, then they started throwing these contribution parties where like people would just come with their USBs, put files that like, they found interesting or they found on their laptop. Then, yeah, we'll have a party. But in the meantime, people are like contributing and putting all their files into this folder that becomes kind of like a representation of the group in that moment. And that was like really unique network effects and kind of like continues evolving from there.
0: So it is one folder that they're all contributing to?
1: During that event, yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's like one Mm -hmm. example.
0: And then what do you do with the folder after?
1: We got to redistribute it back to the people who are there.
0: Okay, cool. In what format?
1: um well we can do it peer-to-peer natively you know just plug in your usb and um and now we're exploring other alternative ways of doing that which i gotta be like
0: it's down uh, low
1: with on the dl
0: <laughs> not yet so how many people are in usb Club?
1: um i've it's hard to to keep count um like roughly yeah i would say this like I don't know. I how may, I think the better answer may be well. First, the right answer is um, if you have a USB, you're in USB club. Okay.
0: If you've heard of USB club, you're in USB club. Yeah, yeah. Bro, I don't even think I have a USB.
1: Exactly. Now that I think about it, <laughs> you're to go. I gotta. I gotta uh, get you one.
0: Yeah, I gotta get one. Um, okay, so how does USB club or the um, fill in the blank connect to teal process
1: yeah that's a great question so i think um i saw some of the prompts and the questions you had yeah and uh teal is really like uh has been a, a huge catalyst um so it first started out as an um described as an excuse to explore ideas um this started when i was like in college with uh norm we like Instead of going out for spring break, we stayed in and, like, made art. Because we were going to hackathons all the time. Um, And we are being pretty techie. We would love to, like, spend our weekends meeting kids from different universities and building things with them. But it was always, like, in the startup sense. And then we, like, discovered art, like, probably senior year. They didn't offer design courses in our school. And, like, I started designing at hackathons. And not many people were doing that at first. It was always, like, a bunch of engineers. And um, then we're like, what if we make a website that's just, like, that doesn't have much utility. It's just like beautiful to like explore and look at. So the first project was gassed up, which is on the TO website and we called it an artifact. And, um, we changed from TO being excuse to explore ideas to it being always an open question and really what it is, just it's a flexible container for people to just explore ideas. Um, and once they sell, there's like a funnel model on the top of this concepts. So you can have an idea right now, we can have a conversation and just have an idea. And that's a concept. And then if we try it, if we attempt it, if we practice it, if we act on it, it becomes an experiment. And then if we if it continues resonating with us and we want to polish it to a point where like we come to piece at it, like a artwork that's standing here, um, it becomes an artifact.
0: Okay. I like that. It moves into different stages. Correct. Is a final form an artifact?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like a funnel. Okay. With the, the top being much, much more wider and then the bottom being much more narrow. I
0: see. Yeah, when I was looking at your guys' stuff, like it seems, yeah, you have all of these different artifacts. Um, and I'm not sure if there's any kind of through line or if this is just a platform with which you guys can um, start to actualize your concepts or your ideas and just kind of... Put it all in one collective space
1: yeah yeah um it can act as so like I, like I mentioned unfortunately we won't have um I didn't want to define tail processing company norm said it was necessary and the closest definition we have is it's always an open question right so in order to uh to understand the the boundaries and the confines of it um we will never reach it and we will never find it because um there always needs to be this like flexibility for it and if people do some research there's interesting um language around management styles and there's like the red style forgot like there's like color styles that like contribute to kind of like more primitive ways of doing things like a wolf pack and then bottom line goes to like teal management which is this quote we found and it's much more self-management more fluid um kind of like where society is probably headed to now where like people are kind of like more so working on their own terms more than Back in the day, they didn't have that much agency or autonomy. Um so yeah. Like nothing uh anything is possible and we take idea silly ideas seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I'm I'm kind of curious and inspired about how you seem very intent on keeping this very open, like mm. very open concept. Mm. Do you find that people often run into difficulties by trying to define something to much or like get it down to something that's too specific where it feels confining
1: yeah yeah i mean i I mean if we can maybe paint the picture of design compared to art um like design is for someone art is for the self and like there's some art pieces up on the wall here um and like asking the question is like defining this art is like up to self-interpretation But like defining something that's like design, like a product, say for an example, it becomes much easier for people to align and agree on what is made when it's designed, but it's much more ambiguous on people to define what a piece of art stands for.
0: Mm -hmm. I was wondering how you guys decided on the term artifact and like exactly what the significance is of that to you.
1: Yeah. Um, There's the word art in it. (laughs) True. Um and um, artifact I think is something that can be looked on years later and still be appreciated. I feel like it has more segment like uh, cementing towards it. Um, where experimentation I feel like has more looseness towards it. So it's really just a granularity language around the maturity and evolution of a thought. You know, so from the thought to concept, to experiment to artifact, and when it's an artifact, it kind of can be left alone.
0: Right. Yeah. Because to me, there's something about artifact that symbolizes it's in the past.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's like you know it's there. Yeah. Like where experiment is like it's still active. Concept is like it's early. Right. Where artifact is like polished a book. You know, of, of when something's published.
0: Yeah, you can't fuck with it anymore. You can. I know you can,
1: but you but, can but it reprint. But it definitely has a stamp. Definitely, it, you know
0: yeah for sure or whenever you're reading a book and you notice um a spelling error or like a grammatical mistake i'm like oh that fucking sucks with that. yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and sometimes you yeah, don't appreciate it just like in the country's uh, yeah, kind of beautiful yeah on the online way you know i think it's good for things to have bugs in them for, not, for them not to be perfect bugs bugs like technical bugs
0: do you like that
1: I don't, I don't intentionally aim for it, but like if we ship an artifact that has a bug on it, we will probably come to peace with it. <laughs>
0: right. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Okay. I also wanted to ask you about Arena.
1: Mm-hmm. I got
0: on Arena kind of recently. I feel like I'm very late to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I consider you a power user yeah. of Arena and particularly when I was looking at Teal Process. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in how you guys are working collaboratively in that space.
1: Yeah, yeah. T- t- Arena has a very dear, special place in my heart. Um, I discovered it um, right after, like around 2018. Um, and at that time, I believe they were doing a crowdsourcing for investment through this platform called Republic. Yeah. Um, I was too poor at the time to uh, become an investor. Um, but today, now I am a supporter. And um, all that to be said, it really, uh, I think Arena has achieved an extremely simple utilitarian approach of organization design. Um, And uh, I think that it has a beautiful digital architecture to it and the way we've used it at Teal is really just a work log, a work in progress. Um, I have at times considered creating something that could work more naturally with us. So I think that while Arena is great and it works for everyone who understands how they can tailor it to their needs. um, I think there are some areas where there can be improvements that work for my or anyone in teal's workflow not for others i think there's some tailoring that can be done um but in the meantime almost all of our artifacts all of our explorations i would say if i had to imagine i would guess there's about around a thousand blocks from teal in arena all right i would have to look that up and the way we used it and became a power user is that we started creating channels that separate primary source and secondary source. Okay. Yeah, so to, like, elaborate on that, um, we were until doing a lot of active research. Um, and so if I took a photo of a sketch we did, that's a primary source. It came from us. Right. Okay. And then if we're exploring and experimenting with a concept, let's say... Um, the concept of uh, Paragande, which is like an alternative time system. Um, if you go on Arena and you look at Paragande and you go on the channel, all you will see is primary source information from our experiment and research mm-hmm. of things that came from us. Right, right. And then we have a separate channel called Paragonde slash secondary, where if you go to that, you will see all the references. I see. Where like a lot of times the context and people lose meaning, When it just becomes a curating place where like, oh, yeah, there's this mood board and you go in and you see things from different places. It's like, no, you're not going to see a mood board from us. You're going to see all of our research. Mm -hmm. And then we have a separate channel for where we've done our secondary research for something. I see. Yeah.
0: Okay. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how you guys structure all of this. And it seems like you all post a lot. And I was wondering how this all gets cataloged and organized yeah. and how you bring it to each other. Like if, if people are posting in it, do you go over it together or is it just kind of up there?
1: Are you saying like if a channel is open or not? Like when you mean posting in it? Yeah. 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 I would say, yeah. Anytime we, I like to leave things open, leave them green. Um, however, if you know something that comes from secondary information comes into the primary channel, it should be moved to the secondary, and that's just cleanup. Um, but I were ha- I'm happy to like find other people or discover other people on the internet who are interested in the same research we're doing and contributing in that manner. I think that um, we accidentally got traction on Arena. Like I think that um, we were using it as like a tool, and then people I think were admired by. All the different things, all the different surface areas we were touching and exploring and exposing that. Um, Like, Virgil Albo played a very inspirational role for me for how transparent he was when he was going about his (laughs) career. And I just saw it as a place to put those things. And then, like, fun fact um, we've gotten to the point where we started creating our own uh, kind of boutique software, one called a concept trust, like in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, which we've started creating tooling that works a little bit more with our workflow, and kind of has been our little uh sacred place to start putting our uh active explorations in. So like, um, I kind of like matured out of Arena a little bit. I don't yeah. host as much, and now we use a tool called Concept Trust.
0: And um, how do you use that tool?
1: Um, very just like how I explained. So now we have like ideas and references separated. Um. And, um, and yeah, you know, I think, um, it's like a museum It's part archive, part museum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think you'll ever fully transition into using Arena?
1: Out of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think ever fully, um, because of the people in there. Um, I remember a friend of mine named Austin, um, and um he mentioned or they mentioned rather um that you know anyone can like build arena overnight or something but it's really just like culturally the people on there that make it yeah totally and i think there's people that have uh, resonated with out in on that social network that um i still want to say hello to yeah um, people who are on
0: arena Fucking love Arena.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 for from very valid reasons. Mm-hmm. And um it is a social network where I don't think Concept Trust right now is a social network. It's right a tool. It's just for you guys. For now, yeah, boutique. Boutique software.
0: Right, right. Yeah. One of my questions was going to be if you saw Arena as the as an ideal collaboration space, but you mentioned earlier that there are some things that could be improved just for your guys's purpose and I was wondering what those things would be
1: okay yeah and there's some sauce some sauce is uh the camera okay I think that um a better integration with the camera will help people put more primary source information on arena than just uh information so, you know because there's a lot of curating tumblr energy going on definitely right? connecting there's a lot of connecting happening yeah but when it comes to like contributing primary source information that hasn't existed before the camera is the missing piece and so like uploading images um is something that should be a bit more seamless um search i think they're working on but you know i you know i'll i'll say it straight up and out front and on the record uh cab which is short for charles um one of the co-founders of rena is uh one of my favorite founders yeah um he's an artist founder in my eyes um and um for many reasons. And one of which is maintaining the purity of arena. He's also a skater. I don't know a lot of skating counters. <laughs> um, I tried to make an arena skate team once. There's that channel. So not How many good.
0: people?
1: There's like three. There's like everyone. There's people who use arena who uploaded uh, gifts of them skating. And there's a channel <laughs> called arena skate team. And I'm trying to get us sponsored. Um, but, um, you know, there's still no likes. There's still no algorithm
0: yeah, true
1: and so I think that um it's still pretty utilitarian and so um and and CAD does a lot of things outside of arena as well and and it comes from an artistic background and I think that in a sense arena is also boutique because it's a small team and um I think there's still me I, I think every day or all the time, they're probably getting bombarded with suggestions Definitely. and and what defines them and what's the str- stronghold is maintaining through some principles of what it is mm-hmm. and not letting the pressure of time get in the way right? or mass adoption even.
0: Was ARENA born to be a collaborative space or was it kind of meant to be used individually and then people can connect from their own accounts?
1: So the way it's described is like it's a monastery for adults. Okay. So it's like a learning environment, right. a digital learning environment, and um, and in a in a past lifetime. If I found Arena when I was younger, or when Arena was founded, and I was older and in New York, I would say um, I would really identify with like working on on that. Yeah, yeah, life.
0: for sure. Um, I was also looking at your personal Arena, um and i thought it was cool probably one of the most interesting things that i saw in there was your testimonies.
1: oh yeah Yeah, Um, that one is interesting
0: it's kind of cool because it looks like you have like a a little bit of a resume it's situated with all of your work and also all of the inspiration that is going into your work so you really get this holistic picture of Mm -hmm. your whole process and everything that's going into it and everything that comes out of it if you can talk about your process or your own arena
1: yeah i really started with like when i was young trying to you know get my proper respect and validation i was like uh getting you know uh recommendations for testimonies on linkedin
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
1: and that feature and i started just screenshotting those and then putting them in testimonies just to like let other people know what i'm capable of because sometimes people just judge people over a profile a portfolio yeah yeah and it's like yo like especially people who have a lot of strong soft skills um, don't have a lot of tangible assets that represent the infra aspect of what they're able to deliver when it comes to contributing towards our project. And so testimonials is a really good way to like prove that like hey, I have provided value in the past in ways that are actually hard to like show in a portfolio.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And um, I started I worked at a, I worked at IBM in the past and um, I had performance reviews and they were typically pretty good. Mm-hmm. and started just screenshotting those and then i started texting my friends and stuff like hey like what do you think i'm uniquely good at yeah, yeah and just for like reflection's sake and like those really helped me gain insight and share those insights of like hey what makes me me in other people's eyes um and especially in a particularly valuable sense and um it's inspired other people other people have started creating these type of channels I think mad was one of them and uh and yeah, that's where it came from. It was like a way for people to see how others have seen me. Right. And um and no UI can, you know, speak on on uh on on the things that the testimonies cover.
0: Yeah, totally. It is kind of weird how we've ended up in this situation that we're in now where the um the traditional thing that you have to provide is always a cover letter, which is like completely I don't wanna say fallible, but like it's invented by yourself and you're trying to understand how other people see you and pitch yourself as what you can be. But there's really no way to back that up. And mm-hmm. there are so many different ways that we can circumvent that, right? We can do something like this. I know that sometimes people do, you know, they'll obviously talk to your past employers or sometimes get like personal references, but this seems like a, such a more, much more concise and like streamlined way to provide all of that information.
1: Yeah. And to touch on that with the notion of artist founder, um, sometimes when people do residencies, they're kind of requested to do an artist statement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there is some parallels with like uh, people exploring their own artist statements and allowing that to define what role they see themselves having.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. Um, A big thing that I wanted to mention, especially as it pertains to teal process. Um, and your work is like, as we've been talking about these virtual spaces, I know that you put a huge emphasis on, on IRL spatial space and place. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. I feel like you've broken it down to me multiple times and you guys have the little cards. Oh yeah. But the spaces keep changing, I feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, just for context, um, you know, I think one of my favorite things to do is to change a physical space and rearrange a physical space with friends um, as a design practice and to see what behaviors come out of it. People put so much emphasis on like product design in a digital sense and it influencing people's behavior and using data and such. But I think there's like so much more reward and doing that with friends, with people you care about, or even people you want to know in a physical space where you can rearrange a space for um, different intentionality, like given the space we're in right now, like Uh, can afford different experiences that I think are much more richer than one that we engage with on a digital user interface level. And so, um, you know, I see my favorite type of space to create is one that encourages um, moments of education. Um, So uh, Laurel Schwartz was somebody who I saw express the phrase that teaching is creating educational environments. And, um, in my past, um, myself and Norm, we used to throw hackathons and, uh, when throwing a hackathon, you have to think about how the space is organized and how the space is arranged. And so deep down in my, in the DNA, I realized that like, I did have a fascination around organizing a space to equip people to like learn and make the things you want to make. And so I started from there. Then after college, um, I... Took a loan out and rented a space out with some friends and created our own residency. I just found out what a residency was my last semester of college. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is cool. I have a month before I have to start my job. Let's get a studio space. I don't know what we're going to do. And what we ended up doing was just putting things in there so people can come by and make whatever they want to do. And that continual practice happened with the factory, which was another place where People, we just want to equip it with tools where people can learn the things they want to learn. Because sometimes the tools and the access to the tools is what the barrier of entry is to learning. So an example is such as like a sewing machine. There's so many people who probably want to explore fashion, but won't be able to actually like take it a step further because they don't actually have a sewing machine. Yeah. Or even if they want to practice DJing because they don't have a controller or a CDJ. Yeah. And so, um, or sewing, or I, I'm not sewing, uh, carpentry, yeah, right? Yeah. And so putting all these tools in the space. And then allowing people to make whatever they want—that's the true educational moment. And so what's come out of there is like clothing lines, like sold out. Say for example, it was a, a friend's line, and now he has another space in LES. So like, kind of like people, like the technical term would be accelerator. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I will, I would, I wouldn't put that name on it. But um, you know, and now they got their own space. Uh, and um, my friend Sean sometimes go to Zayed. Is also part of Teal Processing Company that did chair workshops in there, like how to build a chair and made their own things. And now they're going to be soon opening up a new space as well. Um, uh, I think under the name of Menagerie, mm-hmm. Um, the, the DJing as well. Um, We have a space now in Greenpoint where we DJ with CDJs. And so um, it's really served, the factory has really served as a catalyst for people to like grow and in their interests and the only thing that was getting in the way was access to tools and now i think we're in a transitional phase where we're con- com- i think the space has served its purpose in empowering people and now we're having fun with it by uh hosting sessions called listening labs so initially in the factory uh when people come in we they put in a construction vest and the construction vest I almost acts as a costume it's a uniform that empowers one psychologically and others to have the permission to do things, to move things around, to break things, to set things up. Um, and now we're uh, uh and that's like a, an expression of art in itself. And now we're doing that with listening labs where people are putting on white lab coats. Um, we have little notepads where people can draw or observe, um, while people are playing and listening to music in unconventional ways. Cool. And then from what resulted from that is like I've made a lot of friends who also have spaces and connected it once to, as an art project, uh, I'm part of like this research group called Other Internet. Mm -hmm, And I said we should do art residencies in it. And the art program I did with um, Aaron Z. Lewis and Norm um, was this notion of building a schoolscape, which is augmenting... um, educational environments and realizing that like one day we wanted to create a campus physically, but there's a lot to get to that point in, yeah. in New York. I realized like, wait, if we just like put like, if we just connect these spaces, we already have a campus because there's a valley of loneliness that happens to resources after you graduate, you mm-hmm. don't have access to all the tools you used to have. And so we created these learner cards that kind of acted as a passport to access to all these spaces. And those were like the lo-fi AR goggles that you can put on to see that there's a network space that you can have access to. And so we, we had a couple fellows, um, gave them stipends. They got to traverse the campus. We did tri- an orientation. And um, that was like a really beautiful way to like um, reignite the notion of the feeling of having a campus without having to build another building.
0: Yeah. And what spaces were in the campus?
1: Um, there was the factory, which was the headquarters. There's the playground, um, which is where I stay with Norm. There's a lot of fun tools there. Um, eternal was one of the spaces with Reggie days, which was one of the spaces with William. And these were all space stewards. There's Quay, um, with Sam was a steward there. Um, and, uh, that might be all of, oh, and the garage which is like a boutique, hardware, and software place that's downstairs from the factory. Okay. So it was six spaces.
0: And they were open to those who were in the residency?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we had like three fellows and they could, um as long as they communicated with a space steward, they would have access to space. And then everyone had a copy of the keys of the factory as a headquarters to go whenever they wanted to go in.
0: Okay, cool. How long did the residency last?
1: So we practice a new form of uh, time called quad cycles, yeah. which are like four days. Um, And I think we had, uh, I, th- I want to, man, it was like a month. Okay. And so what? There's like how many days in a month? Like say 31 divided by four. It was about seven quad cycles, I would say, seven times four. 28 days around seven seven quad cycles and it really like messed up like it made it feel longer we slowed down we hacked time and made it slow down by uh framing things into quad cycles
0: okay so break down your concept of time for me now
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so uh the pandemic really like shifted um normalized understanding of time because you we were living at the same place as roommates and uh, the purpose of time kind of like shifted a lot nobody was going out. And so the days started to feel like, you know, three days started to feel like one day. Yeah. Um, and so with uh, paragonde systems, uh, we like broke down a new system of time and days. So we have three types of days and a, a clock that is like solar time. So going into the days, we have NP1, NP2, and Paragonde. The NP stands for non Paragon Day. So I'll start with Paragon Day. Paragon Day is the ideal day. So a lot of times we'll, people will contribute that to vacation. Right. Um, but you really can have Paragon Day at any time. It can be for a moment of day. You can meditate and be in paragonde. Day. Um, but it's what's ideal for you. You know, you have, you're away from, you can do whatever you want with your time. You're in complete control of your time. There's no pressure anywhere. Um, and that's rare for me to come by, but, um, it's very beautiful. And like, we jokingly say you parachute into it because, uh, it's, uh, cause it's about space and time, especially like mental space. And so it's like, you like parachute, like sh- you land into Paragonde like it's from Fortnite, like almost like a Fortnite, but without the battlefield, right? um, to give yourself like the transitional time to land in it. And MP1 is non-paragon day one, which is like a day of obligations, a day of work where you like, you have to do things, you're obligated to things. And then MP2 is like a day where you don't have those obligations where people will probably constitute as a weekend if they have the privilege of working just weekdays, because not everyone has that privilege. Um, And that kind of like really helped frame like, hey, am I working today? Am I? And then, you know, work is a feeling. So that's a whole other subject. Um. You know, am I obligated to do these things today? Is my time already de- determined? And then MP two is like my time isn't determined. I'm a little fle- flexible. And then Paragon is like I'm doing what I want to do right now, and I'm like living my best life. Right. And like for me, sometimes that's like being under a waterfall, yeah, yeah. and like not having anything on my calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the time system we have, it's with solar time. And so right now, if I look at um, Paragon Day's clock, um. And uses my location. It's four hours and forty-eight minutes past sunrise, and it's ten hours and fourteen minutes till sunset. Okay, so this is a long day, <laughs> and my day, if I draw it, it's been, like, and I'm probably gonna crash pretty hard. And so I can draw how I feel my day is gonna be, and it will relatively like fill out where I'm at. So it allows people to like have a sense of time by trying to create a essentially almost like a journey map line. Of how they would think they're going to experience their day emotionally with ups and downs, and it fills up uh, accordingly of like where you are relatively to um, that timeline.
0: Right, and this is a prediction that you're making before the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, like the yeah, 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 yeah. Because like you know you got to imagine, yeah, how it go, and you can like redraw the line. But the solar times have been really great. I wake up with the sun. I have. I went almost like a year without an alarm clock. I started using an alarm clock a week or two ago, and now I don't have to use it again anymore. Um, I used to have to like wake up at 5.30 in the morning, and now my body's naturally waking up with the sun again. And having access to windows where you sleep plays a huge role in that.
0: Definitely. I prefer to wake up to the sun also. Mm -hmm. Um, So how does this link up with the concept of actual time? Can a day be longer than
1: definitely the general
0: concept of a day and then if it is does that take away from the next day
1: (laughs) yeah so we call the we call those sun cycles
0: okay right
1: yeah and um yeah a day can be multiple sun cycles in my opinion
0: i see interesting
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um how long ago did you launch this i know it's an app right
1: uh it's it's an app slash it's a website it's a theory on the main page there's a theory and then if you like scroll down and look um uh it, it, it you can like see all the other tools we've made We made other tools for it so the joke with Paragonde is that's a lifelong project yeah yeah we're never you know I have my whole
0: the concept I of time
1: to, like whole what? life to work on Paragonde
0: definitely and
1: people would try to work on it as well and it's fine
0: yeah yeah
1: um we want to make a clock one day a watch one day we call it a sun check so you're checking the time not watching the time um Toby came up with that term. Um, and it was funny, it's like we have a one minute difference in sunset between here, Manhattan and Brooklyn. Interesting. So, like, your location really matters. And so, like, an example here is like, if we want to see, check the time at the playground where I live, you hit check. And it says it's like four hours and 15 minutes past sunrise. And then, as time goes by, the time actually fades out. And you're like, lose, look, and it, and then you don't see the time anymore. So it's a notion of checking the time mm-hmm. rather than watching the time.
0: And how do you and
1: this was in 2020 to answer your question right
0: right. How did you guys choose to to visually represent
1: this? I mean, there's still other ways we can. Um, yeah. But I think think um, there's been an interesting way to like bi-directionally understand time in understanding past sunrise until sunset Mm -hmm. and then till sunrise, um, till sunrise, no past sunset till sunrise, you know? So it's like always like, um, I think the best way that visually represents it right now is like there's this Apple Watch interface that kind of has like a sign, you know, like sine and cosine waves. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a thorough line of like when the sun rises and the sun sets. That's like Mm -hmm. a complete line and then it goes up like a hill. And I think that's like the best way to like visualize where things are at.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I remember when I was in my undergrad and I was taking this class on Kierkegaard. This doesn't directly uh, relate to what you're saying, but it's in the same vein. It's just kind of this concept of time that broke my brain. Uh. And um, Mm. like if you just imagine a line Mm. and you think of the present moment,
1: Mm.
0: people typically understand the present moment as moving away from the past and into the future towards it. And like time is this fixed line and we're moving along it. Mm. But the present is actually the fixed moment. And the past is moving away from us, and the future is arriving to us, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it might seem like a very small difference, but actually, when you when you change your your conception of time in 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 these ways, it really fundamentally breaks how you think things are arriving to you, and like the predetermined nature of our time and 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 how we're moving through it. Um, so I really appreciate re or imaginative rethinking Mm. of time and how we encounter it i think it's a really really amazing project
1: yeah and like just to like uh plant continue planting seeds um there's this like there's some people who really care about this topic and want to welcome if you know anyone who comes across this information and content the the squad of the new times working group Okay. which is a group of people who uh want to change who are devoted in changing time um I want to give a shout out uh, kia kia kerter um really cares about this um Aaron z lewis cares about this vivek i had a conversation with him recently how you know people think that time is circular but he sees it more as a spiral which is both is true where like there is it goes around and around and you kind of like revisit things. So, you know, things come to you, but it keeps spiraling out. But if you like unravel the spiral, it's a line. Yeah. And where a circle is like, you keep going back to the same point, but with the spiral, you keep, you know, coming back, but it's a continuation and you can have like a beginning and, end. and, um, and yeah, I think that, um, the, the last note I'll hit on is that I would say that the thing that is probably controlling humans the most is um the calen- the current calendar system we have. That's true. Um and people The four
0: hl uh? The four H L.
1: What's the four hl The
0: four hour life. It's like uh. you have um I don't know the exact structure, but it's like eight AM to six AM you're working. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to sleep eight hours a night. So there- you have four hours in between work yeah. and sleep. Yeah. Those are yours.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just the, the way the calendar is set up is, uh, they're, they're, we're literally trapped in cell blocks.
0: Yeah. And, totally.
1: And, um, and if we were able to liberate ourselves from the calendar, then, um, the world would probably be flipped on its head. Um, but releasing, relieving ourselves from the, uh, universal time system that we exist in now, um, will really, uh, I think people are I think this is a strong word, and you feel free to change it up, but are <laughs> mentally uh, enslaved by time.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. Um,
1: the health with coordination, yes, yeah, there's alternative ways. but
0: even sleep, like I've heard that we actually might be might be able to function better. If we have two sleep cycles a yeah, the day. Yeah. Like, us. yeah, 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 exactly.
1: I mean, like, you know, how do you think things worked before the internet and how do you think things worked in the 1500s, 1400s? You know, people looked at the sun, they looked at shadows, you know, solar time was probably much more relevant.
0: Yeah, they probably went to sleep when the sun went down.
1: They probably woke up when the sun <laughs> came up.
0: Okay, I have one last question to ask you, and it's just because I feel like it's something that's relevant to both of us, and I've never gotten the chance to speak with you about it before, but I know that we both have worked or still do work in UX, Uh and I was wondering what what your intentions uh, and what your hopes are, what they were Mm -hmm. as a UX designer, because as someone who is also in the field, I feel like it's a very maybe not noble, but like very hopeful mm. Um, mm. pursuit or endeavor. It's like it's changing the way how we interact with products that are both virtual and, and, and physical. Um, mm. But I feel as though since UX has become this um, kind of mandatory role that every company has now it's just kind of devolved into replicating the same cookie cutter mm-hmm. design processes and then in UX research it's just making sure that those same user interfaces or designs mm-hmm. are like placating the users it's not actually figuring out what people want and mm-hmm. how we can package it to them in new and interesting and innovative yeah. ways
1: yeah yeah definitely um i have a long standing history with ux My first ever freshman year summer internship, I was a research uh, UXer, UX researcher. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, with time, I've been able to reflect on, on this, and my personal conclusions are that the reason why I personally care about UX. It's because I think I'm naturally sensitive. And I'm sensitive towards how other people feel. I'm sensitive to how they react. I'm sensitive to what triggers them. And I'm always thinking about how certain things make me feel. And so that high like people who are highly sensitive people probably have the intuition to improve the quality of life by having the consideration of using their sensibility to improve the everyday products that surround us right and um yeah so that's the answer for that but you know i would say like three years ago i was looking at conversational ux with conversational bots i was looking at voice ux
0: hey i've
1: done ui vux i've
0: done work in that as well
1: yeah um and then vr ux as well before it was all like before the vision pro announcement was made yeah yeah before chat gbt came and now i feel like it's you know certain things are too late and certain things we can still act on when it comes to um there being ethics around how we experience these new interactions. Um, but yeah, I think it's comes down to being sensitive, being humane, and um, and just always thinking how something makes someone feel and understanding why you feel a certain way. Like as much as like these mics holding them in our hand may make us feel empowered to have a voice.
0: Right. Even exactly.
1: though we're like four feet away from each other,
0: I was saying that to Josh the other day. Holding a mic makes you feel so much more important.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that's part of the UX. Yeah, totally. But the the experience is all determined by your senses.
0: Do you think that um, a Pisces makes a bad yeah. UX designer? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like as a Libra, I kind of relate to that because as a, I I think Librans Le, um, mm. are very focused on what other people think of them yeah, or just what they're thinking. And then, um, I mean, I would say they're pretty empathetic, yeah, but kind of more in a, in a, in a self-conscious way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say a Pisces is like, I feel this is the other person also feeling. This?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. As a Libra, I think that I'm looking to see what other people feel so I can feel it all.
1: Through. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's an inverse. Yeah. Um, One example I was going to say is like, I can make art and say, does this resonate with you? And then the Libra can design something like, does this, you know, does this work for you? And then the value can be ascribed where I comes from a, a place of self where the other one comes, still comes from a place of self, but comes from a place of like, um, keeping the other in mind the whole time.
0: Self for the other.
1: Yeah. So you, you may come from self for the other and I come from the self from the self and, and look and seek validations from other.
0: Definitely. Um, I think now on uh on UX job applications, they should ask your astrological sign.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I think that would play a beautiful role. Um, I think like you know, companies like CoStar would probably be really equipped for something like that.
0: Oh, totally, yeah, they're making lots of moves, honestly. Man. I follow their Instagram. Yeah. Um, all right, we've done just about an hour. Is there anything? Bye. Time is flying by today. I need to check my uh my Paragon day app.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can send it to you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um But yeah, we still have plenty of sunlight. Oh
0: good. Yeah, it's so early. I don't even think I've ever had anyone come over to my house this early.
1: Yeah, it's it's early for you, but it's already five hours past sunrise. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um is there anything that you want to tell the people about where they can find you or what you want them to look at?
1: Um just go to like tealprocess.net um and then explore um click on links um there's enough content on there to on those links and where they take you to um walk through the museum of artifacts experiments and concepts that exist and that will continue existing in the future um i also want to shout out to to a couple people that's okay sure sure. (laughs) um yeah, I well, wanna give it I'll say a shout out to Norm who's always been holding it down. Shout out to Sean, besides I call him sometimes for um oh naturally being an educator and a giver. Um, Aaron Z. Lewis, Toby, Laurel, um, Tanya, Tanya down, <laughs> and um and everyone, else, and anyone who's ever like, um, Reggie as well, um, Reggie James. He's he's definitely um em- em- empowered me as his job is to empower artists, <laughs> being an artist founder, <laughs> and um, and, and anyone who's um, taken the time to dig in and 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 see the vast uh, landscape that um i am careering through and are able to embrace me as someone who is multidisciplinary and still valid just as someone who's a specialist
0: yeah you have so much going on um and i feel grateful that i've finally been able to kind of all place it into one structure to see how it's all going yeah um all right thanks everyone (laughs) take care